Hallelujah. Let's go to Romans chapter 7, please. Last week we spoke to you on the gospel of rest. And what we said was that the core message of the gospel is this incredible offer of rest that God has given us. Amen. That is what makes the gospel good news. The good news is it gives you rest as compared to the Old Testament where there was no rest. Amen. In the Old Testament, you are constantly, constantly trying to be righteous and acceptable to God and always falling short. Always falling short. Because the law can justify no man. The law was not given to justify us. In fact, the Bible tells us the law was given because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The whole purpose of the law was to show you that you, that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself and you need Christ and you need grace. Amen? But most of the world doesn't know that. Okay? You have all of these religions and they're constantly trying to be righteous through keeping commandments. And then even in, within the church, you know, so many of us who profess to be Christians who attend church on a regular basis still don't understand this wonderful gospel of rest. And we're still trying through our own efforts to be righteous, to be holy, to, to earn and merit God's blessings. Amen? The, according to the gospel of rest, trying to earn God's blessings and favor through law keeping is, is wrong. And that that only leads to more death. Amen? But understanding that Christ Jesus has finished the work for us and has actually fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf as our substitute. And therefore now we stand in him as righteous as he. That is rest. And when we position ourselves and respond to God, respond to life, respond to trouble, respond to everything, from the position of righteousness in Christ, favor in Christ as a gift, we position ourselves to reign in life and to rule in life, amen? And to pray and receive results in prayer. So it's very, very important that we grasp this. And this is something that we gotta keep reminding ourselves of and I keep having to put you and myself in remembrance of. Now, what I wanna show you today is what flows out of this gospel of rest. And, and I'm gonna talk to you today about what I call the fruit of good works because while we are resting from works that seek to earn righteousness, the truth is gospel of grace produces good works in us, produces fruit in us that we could never, never produce under the law. In fact, gospel of grace when believed and understood uh, and acted upon will cause us to be far more fruitful, uh, cause us to produce far more good works, cause us to walk in a level of holiness not possible under the law. In Jesus' name. All right, so I'm going to say some things today that hopefully will just reinforce your faith and equip you even more to help others. So let's read from verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become, you have become what? Dead to what? The law. What law? The Ten Commandments. You know, many times when people read that, they say, oh, that's, a, that's the ceremonial law. He's not talking about the ceremonial law. He's talking about the moral law. Okay? The Ten Commandments in particular. We have become what? Dead 
to the law, the Ten Commandments, through the body of Christ, which means through the crucifixion, crucifixion of Christ on the cross, through the cross and his death on the cross, we became dead to the law. Why? That we may be married to another. And who's, the, who's, who's that person? It is to who? Christ. To him who was raised from the dead. Everybody said, thank God Jesus didn't stay in the grave. God raised him from the dead, right? Who was raised from the dead that we should what? That we should what? So the purpose of salvation, the, the, the thing that is motivating God in terms of his plan of redemption and our salvation is that he would raise up a people through whom he could what? Bear fruit. Now we know fruit is the manifestation and the outward expression of an inward life. The orange fruit expresses and manifests outwardly the life of the orange tree. And so when the Bible is saying the fruit to God, it's talking about God's life manifesting and expressing his fruit outwardly. So God wants many sons and many daughters through whom he can do what? Manifest his fruit. And what is his fruit? We know his fruit is love. We'll comment on these, these things further, but I just want to introduce these thoughts to your mind. Okay? So what's the purpose of redemption, salvation? What is God trying to get at? He's trying to produce a relationship with people that will allow him to manifest his life and manifest his fruit. Next verse. For when we were in the flesh, when we were what? Were is past tense. Okay, so he's talking to Christians and he's saying to Christians, there was a time when we were in the flesh, which means we're no longer in the flesh. There are only two groups of people and there are only two places you can be spiritually. You can be in the flesh, which is to be in Adam, or you can be in the spirit, which is to be in Christ. You're either in Adam, if you're in Adam, you're in the flesh. Or you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, you're in the spirit. So he's saying to Christians, and that's all of us who have believed on Jesus for salvation, at one point we were in the flesh. Spiritually, you're no longer in the flesh. It is incor incorrect for you to say, as a Christian, I'm in the flesh. That's to say you're in Adam, which, is, which means you're not saved. So... When we were in the flesh, and when we were in the flesh, we were under the law of the commandments. All of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they were in the flesh, because they were not in Christ. And while they were in the flesh, they were being governed by what? The law, the Ten Commandments. But that is not so of us who believe in Jesus. But we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit to, unto what? Death. So he's saying, if you're in Adam, if you're in the flesh, if you're under the law, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, what was the result of that? It produced death. 
So that is the result of being in the flesh, being under the law, and trying to live for God through the commandments. What is the result? Not holiness, death. Fruit of death, that's sins. And he tells us that the sinful passions which were aroused by the Lord, notice what the Lord did. Instead of putting to death the deeds of the body, according to him, the Lord actually aroused the sinful deeds of the body. Do you see that? So when we're teaching or when, when, we're, when we're trying to uh, produce holiness by pointing people to the law and telling them they have to keep the law, hear the commandments, and you got to try to live by the commandments, what you're actually doing, you're actually arousing sinful passions in those people. The scripture says that the strength of sin is the law. So the law is perfect, but because of the sinful passions in the flesh, the law actually stimulates sin. Which, to, to be truthful, that is why God wanted. Uh, because God wanted to convince sinners of how sinful they are. A lot of folks don't think they're so bad. So God said, oh, here's the law. And he knew what the law would do in order to convince them, you know what? I need Christ. Okay, next verse. But now, you see, but we were in the flesh. Everybody say, but now. You see, there's a change. And too often we fail to recognize there's a difference. There's a change in dispensation. And there's a change in status. There's a, there was a time when you were in Adam and you were under the flesh and you were under the law and you were producing fruits unto death, sin. Now, there's a change that you're in Christ. You have been delivered from what? You have been delivered from what? You have been delivered from the law. You have been released. He didn't say you delivered from sin. Now, we are also delivered from sin. But the way God delivers you from sin is to deliver you first of all from the law. You cannot be delivered from sin if you're still under the law. Because what, what does the law do? It stimulates sin. It arouses sin. So deliver you from sin and give you victory over sin so you can live a holy life unto God, he must first deliver you from the law that arouses sinful passions in you. But now we have, say we have been. Not you will, not one day you, it's done. It was accomplished on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should do what? Serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the land. Do we still serve God? Yes. But now we serve God in the newness of the Spirit. In other words, we serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. There's a holy God living inside of me. He walks with me and talks with me. Are you hearing me? And now we're living holy lives, but it's not by looking at commandments and trying to keep commandments in order to be righteous. No, we're now serving God in the newness, in the power of the new covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the engine that allows us now to serve God. Under the old covenant law, when you were in the flesh, you had no engine. It's like having a car, a brand new car, but it has no engine. You're not going anywhere. 
looks good on the outside, but you're not going anywhere because the engine is missing. And so the law is like the frame without an engine. My goodness, but when you come into the new covenant, God gives you the engine. Hallelujah. Say, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so now we who are in Christ can live a life that glorifies God and pleases God, a life of holiness, because of the newness of the Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them in the Old Testament. That's why he's saying it's new. This is something new. This is something new God has done for us in Christ. He has given us the Spirit to enable us to bring forth fruit unto him. Hallelujah. Yet a lot of people in the new covenant still trying to get back under the oldness of the letter. They want to serve God in the new covenant the same way people served God in the old covenant and under the law. And we know it didn't work. If it had worked, God would never have brought it to an end. But we keep trying to go back. We keep trying to go back. And when we preach the new covenant and teach about grace, People say it's, it's, it's cheap grace, it's false doctrine. You're encouraging people to sin. No, if you're preaching law, you're empowering people to sin. But if you're preaching the newness of the spirit, which is, is given to us in Christ, and you're teaching people to live by the spirit, then you're empowering them to live lives that glorify God. How, are you hearing me? Okay, so this scripture is important, and I've, I've made a lot of comments already. Some of these things I, I may repeat but I want to get that into your mind, amen? That there is the core message of the gospel, rest, rest from the dominion of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're no longer under the law, but to give you freedom from the dominion of sin, he had to free you from the law. So there's rest from the law, amen? And then we're told that the law, uh, uh, Cause the passions in us, sinful arouse, the sinful passions in our flesh. And so we have been delivered from this, this, uh, this activating power of sin in our lives that comes through the law. We're delivered from that. Thank God. Amen. So to be delivered from the law means I'm delivered from sin. To be delivered from sin, I got to be delivered from the law. When I'm delivered from the law, I'm delivered from the activating power of the law upon sinful passions in my flesh. My goodness. Thank God. Amen. And being delivered from the law means I'm also delivered from the condemnation, the judgment, and the punishment of the law because of sin. So go to Romans 8. One and two. You see, the gospel of rest says you are delivered from the dominion of sin and you are delivered not just from sin, you are delivered from the very law. Okay? Are you ready? Let's read this. There is therefore now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, where are you? You are in Christ Jesus if you are saved. If you believe on Jesus, if you have received Jesus, you're no longer in Adam. Stop seeing yourself as someone in, in Adam. You're no longer in the flesh. Stop identifying yourself as someone that's in the flesh. Now you're in Christ Jesus. That is your location. 
And everything that is true of Christ Jesus becomes true of you because you're in him. When you're in the flesh, you're in Adam, everything true of Adam is true of you. When you're in Christ Jesus, everything true of Christ Jesus now becomes true of you. And in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment for sin due to the broken law for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. When you were in the flesh and you sinned, there was condemnation, there was judgment, there was punishment. Now that you're in Christ Jesus, what does that scripture say? There is what? Absolutely none. That means there's nothing you can ever do if you're in Christ Jesus that will result in condemnation. Why? You're, 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 the Bible says there's no condemnation. You say, how come there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus was condemned for you. Because all of the condemnation that you and I deserve were, was put on Jesus. That is what the cross is all about. That is what his death is all about. It is about God taking all the condemnation, all the judgment that we deserve because of our sins, placing them upon Jesus who, who, who committed no sin. It is about Jesus accepting all of that condemnation, not some, not 90%. Amen, it's about Jesus taking all of that condemnation upon himself, the innocent lamb of God, the perfect lamb of God, and literally dying. Suffering the full wrath of God for your sin. And so God's law is satisfied and God is propitiated. As far as God is concerned, your sins which you committed and my sins which we committed by breaking the law have already been judged, punished, condemned in Christ Jesus. And God is finished with that. That chapter is closed. It's done. That's the gospel of rest. It's done. It, it's not that we haven't broken the law. It's just that God has dealt with our punishment in Christ. Oh, come on. <laughs> Say no condemnation. No judgment. No punishment. It is not possible for you to be in Christ and God condemns you or you incur judgment and punishment in Christ for broken law. If God did that, he would have canceled out all of what Christ did on the cross. Christ would have died in vain if God is still punishing you and judging you for breaking the law. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now someone says, see, yo, but that is only true to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here's the truth. If you're in Christ, you're in the spirit. If you're in the flesh, if you're in Adam, you're in the flesh. So don't make a false distinction. There are two groups of Christians. There are not some of us who are in Christ and walking after the Spirit, and then some of us who are in Christ and not walking after the Spirit. So some of us are being condemned and some of us are not. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Now this is why there's no condemnation. For what? The law of the spirits of life in Christ Jesus has made me free 
from the law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? Made me free. It means it has released me completely from the law of sin and death. But what is the law of sin and death? The law of sin and death is a description of the Ten Commandments and the moral law of the Old Testament. What God is referring to here is the Old Testament law, in particular the Ten Commandments. That was a law of sin and death. Why? Because under the Ten Commandments, if you sin, you die. Under the law, and the law was just and holy and, and perfect. And so under the law, if you broke one law, the sentence, the condemnation was death. That's why the scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall die. That's the law. Hmm? It says the law kills. Isn't that what Paul said? The law kills. What did he mean? He meant that the law was sentence sinners to death. And that is just. That is not unjust. That's not the law being mean. That's the law just being holy and just. It is a just and right thing that when someone sins and rebels against the holy God and breaks one of his commandments, it is justice for that person to be put to death. So it is not an unjust law. Are you hearing me? And so it is the law of sin and death because it's a law of justice. But the good news, say the good news. The good news is that you who are in Christ Jesus, you are not anymore under that law. Which means when you sin, now you know you're not supposed to, but because we're not yet perfect, you still sin. The good news is because you're not under the law of sin and death, when you sin, guess what? There's no sentence of death. You don't die spiritually when you sin and you got to get saved again. There's no judgment and condemnation of the law being pronounced upon you. Why? You're not under that law. You know, right now, if you were to drive in Virginia, they have some speed laws, right? Uh, if you're on the highway and it's 55 miles per hour, and you choose to travel at 85 miles per hour, Guess what, there's a law in Virginia that says if the police sees you traveling 85 miles per hour where the law says it's 55, the police has the authority to stop you and to give you a ticket, a fine, at which you must pay. If you don't pay it, you can be arrested. Why? Because the law is enforced and the police officer has the authority to enforce that law in Virginia. And every Virginian and everybody who drives on the highway in Virginia, you come under that law. If you don't believe me, try it. <laughs> but if you were to get in an airplane and fly, fly to Germany and get on the Autobahn, hmm, I, think it's, it's, I think the rule is still the same. There are no speed limits. So you can get on the Autobahn and you can travel at 95 miles per hour. You can go 100 miles per hour. And many years ago, I was there with a friend of mine and, and I was in there, you know, they got Mercedes all over the place and he was on the highway, man. And I, boy, I think it was going close to 100 miles per hour. I was praying, <laughs> but he had no fear of anybody stopping him. Why? That law does not exist there. In Germany, 
That law doesn't exist. So the police officer who has authority in Virginia to stop you, if he were to go to, 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 to Germany and you were going 100 miles per hour, he would only be able to wave. <laughs> Amen. If he stopped you, you would stop. Say, may I, officer, may I help you? If he issued you a ticket, you would laugh. If you didn't pay attention to the ticket, there would be no consequence. Why? Because in Germany, the laws in Virginia do not apply. It's another country with another law, and I, you know, the laws in Virginia have no authority there. And we got to understand, my brother and sister, when you're in Christ, the law of sin and death has no jurisdiction, no authority. So now this is where it gets dangerous, but it's the truth, I got to tell you. That is why in Christ Jesus, if you were to lie, the law cannot judge you, condemn you, and sentence you to death for lying. Lying is still wrong, but the law cannot judge you and sentence you to death for lying. Why? You're not under that law. Now, if you drove 100 miles per hour in Germany, they won't give you a ticket, but you do run the risk, if you were to have an accident, that you would die. They can't give you a ticket because there's no law against running, but the consequence of going 85 miles per hour, 100 miles per hour is still that if you have an accident, the likelihood of being hurt seriously or dying is just as in effect in Germany as it is in the U.S., Hmm? So while there is no law that would cause God to judge you and condemn you in Christ Jesus, there are still consequences of disobeying. I mean, if you're foolish, because every law is, is placed up because there's wisdom behind the law. When God said don't lie, there's wisdom behind there. When he says don't kill, there's a lot of wisdom behind there. When he says don't commit adultery, there's a lot of wisdom. God is not just giving you rules. There's wisdom Behind those. So if you choose to violate those things, guess what? God is not going to condemn you and judge you and put you in hell. He's not going to sentence you to, not in Christ, not if you're in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but if you're ignoring wisdom, then you will have some consequences that are very unpleasant. Now, when you have those consequences, don't say God is judging you. He's not judging you. You're just experiencing consequences of not paying attention to wisdom. Are you, are you you're listening, right? Amen. But the good news is that there is no judgment or condemnation. Now, you know, I always have to repeat this because if I don't, I didn't say this as clearly maybe in the first service and because people don't truly understand something, I got to go over stuff. Okay? There is no judgment, no condemnation. It doesn't mean the Father will not lovingly correct you lovingly disciplined you, but there's a huge difference between a father disciplining his child and a judge condemning and sentencing his child to death. So there is discipline. There is correction. Are you hearing me? But not judgment, punishment, and spiritual death because you break a law when you're in Christ Jesus. So thank God, the law of the spirit of life has done what? 
So you're not, you're not under the law of sin and death, but doesn't mean you're not under a law. We are under law. And what is the law we're under? It's the law of the spirit of life. So if you're in Adam, if you're in the flesh, you're under the law of sin and death. The soul that sins should die. If you're in Christ, you're in the spirit, and you're under now, you're living under the law of the spirit of life. It's two different laws because they're two different jurisdictions. Now, the law of the spirit of life is called the law of the spirit of life because this law does not give death, it gives life. The law of the, the, law of the sin and death sentences you to death. When you sin, the law of the spirit of life sentences you to life when you believe. When you believe in Christ and you place your faith in Jesus, the law of the spirit of life says, now I sentence you to eternal life. Amen. I sentence you to life. I sentence you to life without end. I sentence you to be a partaker of the divine nature. I sentence you to be one with me. I sentence you to rule and reign with me. I sentence you to be where I am forever. I sentence you to be in me and to be a partaker of my life, my nature, man. I have been sentenced and every one of you who believes in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are sentenced to life. Amen. The pronouncement upon you is not death. The pronouncement upon you is what? Thank God. Say, God, Father, I thank you that in Christ you have sentenced me. You have pronounced upon me life forevermore. Life, not death, is your, is your portion. Blessing, not curses, are your portion. Amen. Now, what was God's purpose for redemption that we read in Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 4? Go back to 7, 4. We said... His purpose was that we should do what? Bear fruit to God. Much fruit. All right? So there's a reason why God needed to bring an end to your relationship with the law. There's a reason why he needed to deliver you from the law of sin and death. And here's the reason. The reason is... He wants you to bear fruit unto him, much fruit. He wants you then to manifest and express his life. He wants to give his life to you so that through his life in you, he can reproduce his fruit in abundance, correct? Can we agree with that? Since this is God's purpose, God cannot accomplish that purpose while you are under a sentence of death. He had to find a way to bring this sentence of death that we were under because of the broken law to an end. Because he could never legally give you life so that you can produce his fruit while you are under the law and under the sentence of death. That would be illegal. 
you all are extremely quiet. I hope, I hope it means you're understanding and you're not fighting with what I'm saying. Is it clear? Okay, does it make sense? If he wants to give life to you and you're under sentence of death from the law, he cannot do that legally. So to accomplish this holy purpose of making you fruitful, causing you to manifest his life, his fruit, his good works, he must first bring to an end this sentence of death that is upon you. And to, the only way he can bring to end that sentence of death is to remove you from under the law that sentences you to death. Because as long as you're under that law, you're going to continually be under the sentence of death. So he got to, he, not, he, he, he must not only forgive you of your past sins, he must remove you from the law altogether so that that law can no longer sentence you to death again. That's why he didn't just deal with sin, he dealt with the law itself. So how, and he, how is he going to legally bring you from under this, this, this law and remove you from this sentence of death so that he could legally give his life to you and bear his fruit through you? God came up with a way. Thank God for wisdom. He came up with a way to do that, and it's called the cross. Amen? The cross is the wisdom of God. The cross is the, is the, is the, is the action of God to, to, to deliver you and me from the law, from the sentence of death, to free God to fulfill his purpose. Fruit, fruit, fruit. And so on the cross, oh my goodness, Jesus satisfied the law. The law demanded death, so Jesus died. The law demanded wrath, so Jesus took the wrath. And on the cross, he died. But notice, notice what he said, that you may be married to another. You bring fruit, right, when a man and a woman come together. All right? Now, the God's way of you coming together is to come together in marriage. In America, you get to marry one man, one woman at a time. I know some of us come from countries where you can, no, but, but in the U.S., and in the, you get to marry one man, right, Hannibal? One woman <laughs> at a time, right? Okay. So as long as you are legally married, you cannot marry someone else. I don't care how much you love her. I don't care how much you want to bear fruit through her. It is illegal for you to marry her while you're still married. Right? Amen. Okay. Amen. The law legally binds you to that relationship. But if one spouse dies, the minute that spouse dies, the law that obligated you comes to an end, and you are now free to be joined to whoever you choose to. So death ends the relationship legally and frees the person to be joined to someone else. This is what he's doing. He's using a marriage analogy to help you understand. We were legally bound to the law. And the only way to be set free from the law, which sentences all sinners to death, is to die. There has to be a death for that relationship to end. And until there's a death, the law has the right to continue to enforce the consequences of condemnation. So God came up with a way on the cross, my goodness. 
And Christ died. But now this is a mystery that we will, only God can help us understand this, but this is a revelation. The fact is, the cross is not only where Jesus died. The cross is also where God put you to death. You also have become dead. The Bible says you were made to die, literally. You and I were made to die in Christ on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, you were crucified with him. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. We were made to die on the cross. And because we died in Christ and we were included in his death, the relationship that we had with the Lord came to an abrupt end. The law has no jurisdiction over me. I have nothing to do with the law. That relationship doesn't exist anymore. So I'm no longer under the sentence of death anymore because that relationship is gone. Amen? Now that I am no longer married to the law, guess what? Christ had his eyes on me the whole while. He was looking at me, but he couldn't do anything until that relationship with the Lord died. But as soon as I died to the law and, and that relationship ended, he said, man, I want to marry you. Amen. I want to ma- have children, spiritual children. I want to bring forth fruit. I want to reproduce myself. I want to reproduce my nature, my love, my love, my love nature. I'm looking for, for a partner. I'm looking for a partner through whom I can reproduce my love nature. I'm looking for the church. I'm looking for the church. I want to be joined to the church so that I can begin to manifest my fruit of love through the church. Say hallelujah. We are married to Christ. Christ is married to us in the new covenant. And the purpose is that we now can bring forth good fruit, much fruit, the fruit of love can abound in our lives as God by his spirit works in us and through us. So now it is not about keeping law. It is about now bearing fruit. Now the fruit is good works, but these are good works that are being produced through our union with him. These are not good works that we're trying to do to earn merit or deserve anything. These are good works that are being reproduced and manifest through us. And the more we concentrate on that union with him, and the more we open ourselves to that union, and the more we fellowship with him, and the more we keep our mind upon him, guess what? The more fruit, good fruit, love fruit, he can manifest through us. And this is what glorifies the Father. Let me illustrate this in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter one, Jesus was born of the Spirit. Mary said, how shall this thing be? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he shall overshadow you and the thing that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Jesus was what? Born of God. Had God's nature in him, he's the Son of God. In Luke 1, no works, just born of God with God's nature. Then in Luke chapter 3, he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was being baptized 
by John, the heavens opened, God declared who Jesus already was. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm pleased with you because you're my son. I'm pleased with you because you got my nature. You came out of me. Ask Pastor John how pleased he is with his son. And it's not because that boy did anything. It was just, man, this boy came out of me. He has my nature. So God now looks and I'm pleased because of who you are. You can, you're my son. I'm pleased with you. No works. You're my son. I'm pleased with you. And then in Luke chapter 3, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Still, no works. Born of God, filled with the Spirit. Then led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Comes out of the Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost. And there are all of these works that follow. It was not works before the fullness of the Spirit. It was not works before he became a son. He was a son because God gave him birth. He was filled with the Holy Spirit because God filled him with the Holy Spirit. And being born of God, being filled with the Spirit, the result was these good works, which were the things God created him to do. The Bible says concerning you, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it goes on to say, but you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship in Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has ordained that you should walk in. Amen? The works did not come before your sonship. The works did not come before the Spirit. The works came after. And so you are born of God. All of us who are children of God, believers in Christ, like Jesus, we are what? Born of God. We are God's beloved children in whom he is well pleased. And then we are indwelled by the spirits of life. Amen. Even the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. Now born of God. Now filled with the Spirit. No longer under a death sentence. No longer under the law. We are now being motivated and empowered from within by the Spirit of God to produce good works that glorify God. God by his spirit now is manifesting and expressing his life through us, through this union with him. Amen. That was kind of weak. But amen. Say hallelujah. Amen. Now, so what is left for you to do? What is left for me to do? Go to Luke 4, 18. Let's show that. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4, 18. What did Jesus do? Jesus was born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Amen. And then empowered by the Spirit, led into the wilderness, overcoming sin, working signs and wonders. In Luke 4, 18, this is what Jesus said. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember? We are under the law of the Spirit of life. Jesus was born of the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus did the works by the Spirit. And here he is in Luke 4, 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, send me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, recover. So where, what's the point I'm making here is, what is our part? Our part is to believe everything that the word of God has said in the gospel concerning us. Believe that. And by faith, Act upon it. This is what Jesus is doing. He was born of the Spirit. Again, as a man, he didn't do that. God did that. 
He was filled with the Spirit as a man. He didn't fill himself. God filled him. Because remember, Jesus was operating like a spirit, like, like us. So we're born of the Spirit. We don't do it. God does it. We're filled with the Spirit. We don't make that happen. God does it. Are you hearing me? And it's God who by his Spirit works through us to produce all of these good works that glorify him. But our part is to believe it. Amen? So Jesus opened the word and he says, this is what the word says concerning me. And he said, this day, this word is fulfilled in my eyes. So your part and my part is to take this glorious gospel and every day make the decision to believe it, to declare it, to rely upon it, and it will bear fruit that will glorify God through you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, don't, don't hear the message of grace and just sit down. No. Remember the purpose for which he gave you rest from the law was to make you fruitful. Okay, let me, let me read one more scripture. I know Pastor Kesmer is coming, but let me. <laughs> go, 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 go to, go to, go to, go to, go to, go to Titus, Titus, Titus uh, 2, all right? 11 to, to 14, Titus 2. I want us to read this very quickly. Because again, I want you to understand that, that now that you have, you have rest from the law, that is not an incentive or motivation to live in sin or to do nothing. In fact, now you have every reason now to produce fruit because you know you're not under condemnation. You're born of God. You have the spirit of God. All of that, you have God's nature. Wow, that should cause you now to be eager about bearing fruit, making a difference, making your life count. Wherever you are, in your home, in your church, in your community, because you are, you're conscious of the fact that, man, the spirit of life is in me, and he's empowering me with the very life of Jesus. Say hallelujah. Amen. Let's read this quickly. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does it do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So the message of grace you heard today is teaching you to do what? Deny ungodliness and worldliness. Why? Because you're not under the law anymore. You are in Christ. You got the spirit of life on the inside of you. Why? That's teaching you to deny ungodliness and worldliness. We should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We can do it now because of the spirit of life in us. Looking for the what? The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus is my great God. And my Savior, who gave himself for us on the cross, right? Why? That he might redeem us from what? Every lawless deed. In other words, redeem you, set you free from all the penalty and punishment that you deserve because of your lawless deeds. Gave his life to redeem you from the punishment for lawless deeds, wrath and judgment. And having now forgiven you of that, he is now able to do what? Purify. How does he purify? By his life in you, oh my goodness. By his life in you. I'm living this life by the power of that life, which is his life in me. So by the light, that, the spirit of light that is now in you, he does what? Purify you to be his own special people, what? Zealous or what? Zealous. Now we do good works because we're zealous. We don't do good works because we're afraid of hell. We don't do good works because we're compelled to. We don't do good works because if we don't do God's works, God is going to judge us. No, we're free from all of that. Our motivation for good works is pure. Amen. Our motivation for good works is the love of God on the inside of us. Our motivation for good works is the life of Christ working in us. And so when it comes to good works, 
to witnessing, to giving, to serving. Hey, we are zealous for it because the life of Christ in us has made us zealous. You don't need health to be zealous. You don't need judgment or punishment to be zealous. That kind of zeal doesn't glorify God. But a zeal motivated by his love and his life in you, mine. That is what he's looking for. And that's what you have. Now let's believe it and keep reminding ourselves that that is so of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Pastor Kismayah.